Well, good morning. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We will get to Luke chapter 11. We have a little bit of a long introduction. Let me just say, if, if you're here this morning, um, it is no mistake that you are here. This church has been praying for you. And we've been praying that... Christ would be exalted, and, and uh, we're actually going to sit under the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as he's going to teach us how to pray. There's no one more qualified to teach us such a thing as this. He is far more serious about our prayer life than we are. He went to the cross and suffered for hours so that we could come into the presence of God, so that we could pray. So Luke chapter 11, let me read, uh, I'm just going to read one to, um, we'll read one to four. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that your spirit would have his way among us here this morning, that you would illuminate your word to us, that you would cause us to be encouraged, strengthened, convicted. And allow us to see the glory that, your, that the Lord Jesus is showing us here this morning in this, in this wonderful person of the Father. And that we would um, be changed by this vision of glory. Amen. The best view of the glory of God will be seen from our knees. Because a person can study scripture all week as as your pastor does, and as I do. We study scripture all week long, but, but until we pray, there's much that we miss. And we need to beg. As you, as you read scripture, you should beg God to show you what he wants you to see. Because then you will see things that seemed ordinary before is now glorious. See, if you want to see the one who is high and lifted up, we must be low. We must get low because prayer is a prelude to seeing more of Christ's glory. Prayer is the impetus to further glory. The more you pray, the more glory you will be allowed to see. Now, um, our church has been going through Luke and, and your church has been going through Acts. And, and if you know, those are both written by the same man, Luke. And as I've been studying through Luke, I've seen this pattern that Luke has, this pattern in prayer. And so the first thing I want to show you this morning is Luke's theology of prayer. 
How does Luke reveal prayer and what its purpose is throughout his book? Because it's a pattern that coincides with his very purpose in writing. Luke is writing Theophilus in order that he would be certain about what he's been taught about Christ. And certainty comes, certainty about Christ comes as you see more and more of his glory. More of his glory is revealed in Luke after someone has prayed. So let me give you some examples of this. I won't, I'm not going to have you turn to these because there's, there's many of them. And, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to share the chapters they're in. And you can go back and, and look them up at some point. But Luke chapter 1, for example, Zachariah has been praying for a son. And an angel shows up. And, and he says, your, your prayer's been answered. We've heard your prayer. God's heard your prayer. And then he goes on and gives Zechariah more good news than he can handle. <laughs> Such good news that he, he has a hard time believing and he gets in trouble. But he gives him this good news as a result of Zechariah praying that he would have a son. In Luke chapter 2, Anna who prays night and day in the temple, does not depart from the temple. This this woman is praying constantly. And what comes into the temple but the redemption of Israel? Jesus Christ is carried in by his parents into this temple. So she's been praying and hasn't left the temple, and in comes Christ. In Luke 3, Jesus is praying at his baptism. And the heavens are opened. And the Spirit descends. And God announces to his Son that he is his beloved and he is pleased with him. So think about this. When these people are praying, God is revealing more of his glory through these prayers. Right? Jesus, and the, 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 only, the only account of Jesus praying during his baptism is in Luke. And then comes from heaven the Holy Spirit. And the Father announces who this is. If you want to know who Christ is, then you pray. And you, you pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. But Luke goes on. Also, Jesus spends the night in prayer in Luke 6. And what does God reveal to him? Who his 12 apostles would be. In Luke 9, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain to pray. And it is revealed there that Jesus is actually superior to the greatest men in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Jesus is shown as the place where God resides now. And God, again, speaks from heaven even there. And what were they doing before God spoke? What were they doing before Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus? They were praying. They were praying. Jesus also prays before he asks his disciples Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ of God. 
And we all know that Peter didn't come to that on his own, did he? Luke 23, Jesus is praying and revealing the whole purpose for his death. Jesus is on the cross. So get this. Jesus is on the cross, which is the way that we can now come to God, and he's praying to God from the cross, asking God to forgive those who put him there. This reveals the heart of God. This reveals Jesus' will. This reveals God's love. This reveals God's forgiveness. And it is in the moment that our sin is being paid for that Jesus is praying that God would forgive those who sinned against him. And lastly, (laughs) Jesus' last words before he dies, he commits his spirit to the Father. And what happens as a result of that? A Roman centurion sees Jesus pray and, and says, this man was truly innocent. He, in another gospel, it says, he says, this truly was the Son of God. So prayer is a means of understanding more of the glory of Christ. The more you will pray, the more you will see the glory of Christ. Now in Luke 11, it is in a context of Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. If you look back in chapter 9, verse 51, this is the dividing place in the gospel of Luke where Jesus is now setting his face to go to Jerusalem in 951. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is about to teach in regard to prayer is under the shadow of the cross. In fact, everything you read from this point on in Luke is under the shadow of the cross. Now, prayer, kingdom prayer, and I'll explain that a a little later But because Jesus says your kingdom come here. Kingdom prayer is a prayer to a God who is a triune God. And so I want to give you some basics of this praying to a triune God. Because when you pray to a triune God, you are praying, as Jesus instructs here, to the Father through the Son, in the Spirit. And so I want to spend a little bit of time showing you where in Scripture that it says that that's how we're to pray. Because maybe, maybe some of us here have, have prayed for many years, in Jesus' name, amen, right? Some people think, well, that's, that's the stamp on the letter that gets it, gets it there, right? <laughs> well, Jesus says in uh, John 14... 13 and 14, you can turn there if you'd like. John 14, 13 and 14. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name. Now, I want to slow down. In my name, because he says this several times. What does it mean? What did it mean in the first century when someone said, you do this in someone's name? Well, it meant that you're doing it 
in everything that's true about that person. For example, praying in Jesus' name means that you're praying believing that Jesus is both divine and human. You're praying believing that he came from the Father, went to the cross, died a substitutionary death, was resurrected and enthroned and is right now seated at the right hand of God. This is praying in Jesus' name. It's praying recognizing that he has done all that for you. It's praying recognizing that there's no way you could pray apart from him. It's praying, recognizing that he bore your sin in his body on the tree. It's praying, recognizing that he is your righteousness that you can go to God with. You pray in everything he taught. And what's amazing here is he's teaching us to pray. What a merciful thing Jesus is doing for us here to teach us to pray. He says, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. This is John 14, 13, 14. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, me anything in my name, I will do it. So if you're asking in Jesus' name, Jesus says, I'm going to answer you. Jesus always answers prayer. Always. Sometimes it's not now, but he answers. <laughs> it's later. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's yes. Jesus goes on to say in John 15, 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name. Notice, you're asking the Father in the name of the Son. He, the Father, may give it to you. And then he hammers this home once again in John 16. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive. Now here comes the bonus. That your joy may be full. So you ask, you pray to the Father in the name of the Son in order to receive joy. You, wanna, you, you think these people have joy in this church? The reason they have joy is because they have fellowship with the Father. The Father comes and makes His home with us. He, he loves us and wants to dwell with us. He brings the Father and the Son and the Spirit to dwell with us. He loves us. And then we have joy because of this fellowship. And then in, in John 16, 26 and 27, Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name. Now here's, this is precious. If, look at this verse, John 16, 26 and 27. In that day, you will ask in my name. In other words, we're going to ask the Father in Jesus' name. And look what Jesus says. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Here, Jesus is saying, you're going to ask in my name, but I'm not saying I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf. And here's why. Because the Father himself loves you. Isn't that wonderful? The Father himself loves you. You know, sometimes we, we all know, you know, Jesus, he loves us. I mean, look, he went to the cross and, and he died for us and he suffered for us. and he, he spent those three and a half years with putting up with much of what we're like, right? And, and so we see, oh, Jesus is so loving. But let me tell you, 
you would have never seen Jesus' love if it wasn't for the Father's love. Because it was the Father that sent the Son. It's the Father who sent the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son who has come to reveal the heart of the Father, and the heart of the Father is to love you. Right? That's every blessing you will or have ever had has come from the love of the Father. He is the head of the Trinity. And the Son comes because the Father loves you. The Spirit is sent because the Father loves you. You have the Word of God because the Father loves you. I mean, there's, there's, there's countless things that you can think of today that the Father loves you, right? We have songs that we sing. We, Vast is the ocean, right? You guys ought to be more familiar with that than most. <laughs> you get to go look at that vast ocean and think wave after wave after wave of the Father's love. That's what he pours out on us. He loves you. From those great things to the little things, we're going, getting here, we came through the airport, you know, and I'm, I'm wheeling this suitcase. These wheels on the suitcase. I don't have to carry this thing. That's the love of the Father, right? I don't have to carry this thing. He's got wheels, right? I mean, the Father loves us and has shown us his love in so many ways. Are you married? There's, there's love in your spouse from the Father to you. Your children. And, you know, and, I, and, and I was reading um, Communion with God by John Owen. Good book. Definitely recommend it. And one of the things he pointed out was that fathers love their children before their children love them. Their children don't even know or understand the existence of their father, yet their father's loving them. And so it is with the Father in heaven loving you. In fact, do you know, this might be news to some of you, that there has never existed a moment in time where the Father has not loved you. In all eternity past, the Father loved you. We can't even imagine that, can we? He loved you before he placed a star in the sky. And this is the one that Jesus is telling us to pray to. What's the motivation to pray? How about a father like that? Right? You want to be motivated to pray? Jesus says, pray this way. Father. Right? Jesus is showing the glory of God when he says, Father. He's a father like God. Jesus himself prayed in the Spirit. In Luke 10, 21, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Jesus, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, addresses the Father and says, I thank you, Father. Jesus' half-brother Jude tells the church, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So we're to pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Jesus appoints the Apostle Paul to teach the church to pray in the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. So, get this. All prayer, all praise, and all preaching involve every member of the Trinity. 
I'm to preach in the power of the Spirit and exalt the Son for the glory of the Father. Right? That's what we do every Sunday. We preach in the power of the Spirit, exalting the Son to glorify the Father. And when you, when you, um, let me give you a couple other examples from Jesus because he's, he's a perfect example. Jesus, he shows up in the flesh and one of the first things he says is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then it says, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus preaches in the Spirit. And if Jesus preaches in the Spirit, we need to preach in the Spirit. Peter writes to the church about the things that have been announced through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Preaching is to be done in the power of the Spirit. Praise is to be done in the power of the Spirit. Prayer is to be done in the power of the Spirit. Worship is through Christ in the Spirit to the Father. Paul commands the church in Ephesians, be being filled with the Spirit, right? We all know that. Right? So you're filled with the Spirit, and then what does that manifest? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that's what we were doing earlier, right? We were singing and making melody to the Lord. We were singing songs of praise in the Spirit to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise is Trinitarian. Prayer is Trinitarian. What I mean by Trinitarian is that it involves every member of the Trinity. Your Christian life involves every member of the Trinity, every member of the Godhead. We proclaim Christ in the Spirit for the glory of the Father. We worship filled with the Spirit, thanking the Father in the name of Christ. And we pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Now turn back to Luke 11. Luke 11. It says, and now Jesus was praying. And remember, there's, he's on his way to be rejected by the Father who has loved him forever. And yet he's still praying to him. He's praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So Jesus here is communing with his Father in prayer. And it was taking place as they drew closer and closer to the cross. And as the disciples hear Jesus praying, they are irresistibly drawn to ask one of the best requests they've ever had. <laughs> Teach us to pray. If anyone ever asks you to teach them to pray, consider it an immense privilege. Because oftentimes we don't know how lousy we are at praying until we hear somebody Pray who we have not prayed like that. 
And here the disciples are hearing a person pray like they've never heard a person pray before. And John and Andrew, you know, they might have been taught by John the Baptist to pray, but now they're asking Jesus to teach them to pray. Now think about who's praying here. This is the one who stood face to face with God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? He was face to face with God. And he is about to teach us and his disciples, he's about to teach his disciples here how to pray. If we ever needed to hear Jesus' words, it's here and now as he's going to tell us how to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, Father is an intimate title. It's one of respect. It conveys familiarity and relationship. In fact, this section, 1 to 13 here, begins with addressing the Father and ends with the Father as well. In verse 13, notice it says, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And there, there you have the Trinity all over again as well. The Father is giving the Holy Spirit as a result of praying. See, this section, let me just quickly give you a, a, the understanding of this chapter 11 here, just 1 to 13. What Jesus is doing is he's first explaining that who you address and his priority. And then, 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 then you're to depend on the Father in verses 3 and 4 for your daily needs and for your forgiveness and for your guidance. And then he goes on to emphasize the fact that you should... Keep praying and not give up. And then he emphasizes the nature of the Father as one who wants to give you good things. Now, something I think you'll find very interesting is how Luke shapes Theophilus' understanding of what a father is. Because Luke, or we could say the Holy Spirit carrying Luke along, has a plan throughout this book to show Theophilus what a father is. In other words, what is this father like that Jesus is telling you to pray to and calling God Father? What's, what's the idea of father like? What, what should we think of when we say father? Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I won't have you turn here unless you're, unless you're fast at turning. This is chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, says this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. You see, the father is one who is to have deep affection for their children. Now think about this, as those of you who are fathers, one of the best things you can do is pray for and with your children. 
Because if prayer is a means to seeing greater glory, then that is one of the best things a father can do for his children is to pray with them. And that is turning your heart toward your children. And God is the ideal father has great affection for us. Such affection that the son, when he prayed, asked that the love that the father has shown him ought to be in your hearts. Isn't that amazing? That you're to experience the same love of the father that Jesus himself experienced. So a father, according to Luke, a father is someone who, is, who has their children in mind. And then, and then in Luke 6.36 we're told that the, the Heavenly Father is merciful. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So who are you praying to? You're praying to a Father who has, an, has his heart inclined to you and who is merciful to you, meaning he doesn't give you what you deserve because we are ill-deserving. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And just think, even as, even as sons, right, we, we constantly fall short and sin, and yet the Father is merciful to us. And then Jesus explains what this Father is like in, in Luke 10, 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So who are you praying to? You're praying to a Father who has a heart for you, who is merciful towards you, and who is gracious in revealing his plan to you. This is the Father that you address in prayer. Doesn't this motivate you to want to pray? This is a father who wants to reveal things to you. It's his gracious will to reveal things to those who ask. And guess what characterizes children probably more than anything else? They're asking, right? They're always asking. In Luke 12, 30, Luke writes, Jesus says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows you need them. So what is this father you're addressing like? He's intimately aware of your needs. He's gracious. He's merciful. And he wants to show you affection. His heart is toward you. Do you realize that the father is more excited about listening to your prayer than you trying to even pray? That's, that's how much he loves you. Jesus says in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What? You, is, is that something you would have ever asked for? By the way, <laughs> can I have the kingdom? What kind of father is this? He, he tells you, don't fear. Who's telling you this? The one who is face to face with the Father says, don't fear. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His desire is good for you. Everything he desires is good for you. And it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who would have thought? We would never have thought. 
And then if you really want to see what a father's like, go home and not now. Don't get up. Luke 15. You want to read about a father? Let me just read a couple of verses. You'll know where this is from. But while he was still a long way off, maybe that's how you feel in your Christian walk. I'm a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Right? This is, this is the one Jesus says when you pray, you say, Father. A compassionate father, a, a passionate father running out to meet you, embracing you, kissing him. An affectionate father, a celebratory father. Best robe, bring the quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, give him the kingdom, right? Kill the fatted calf, let's eat and celebrate. This is the father you get to pray to. A father who wants to have a party over your returning to him after you did what you've done. And then it gets even more amazing when this parable of the prodigal God or prodigal son, however you want to call it, ends when, when you got this other son who won't enter the party, and the father begs the son to come into the party. It's amazing, isn't it? It's Jesus begging the Pharisees is what he's doing. But this is the father pleading with his son and saying, all that I have has been yours. It's all yours. And Because the son's asking for a party for himself, and he's like, everything I have is yours. And it's right. It's fitting for you to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and he's alive. Isn't that amazing that the Father pleads with self-righteous people? Aren't we glad of that? To come and celebrate forgiveness. Come into my kingdom. Celebrate with me. Because this is where we celebrate what really should be celebrated. And that is the Son. And then lastly, at the end of Luke, we have these words once again. Out of Jesus' lips. What kind of father is this? Jesus is enduring our wrath and addressing the father to forgive them. God's forgiveness is so much more glorious than any sin you've ever committed. Okay? It surpasses all your sin. It is plentiful, bountiful, full. It's infinite. It will cover all your sin. In fact, in Psalm 32, it says that the person is blessed who, who's God, who, who, when God has pardoned their sin or forgiven them, and that forgiven means to lift off. Your sin has been lifted off. And where did God put it? Right on his son, didn't he? He has lifted off your sin. He has covered it. He has removed it. And now, you know, the amazing thing is, is what the Father now does is He doesn't accuse you of sin anymore. You know what He accuses you now of? He accuses you now of being righteous. Isn't that amazing? You're now accused by the Father of being righteous in Christ. 
As familiar as this, fra- as this word father is, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, as familiar as that is, there is something unfamiliar after the comma. Hallowed be your name. The term father will draw us near to God. But the term hallowed here brings a sense of severity. This is the very opposite of common. This is, this is otherness. This is a set-apartness of nature. Father might be familiar, but hallowed is a foreign strangeness altogether. See, the father is holy. He's holy. Everything he owns is holy. See, God puts aside things for himself. Just as your children put aside things for themselves. My son, for example. There's no dresses in his closet because those don't correspond to his nature. Make sense? So there's nothing that God has that isn't holy. There's nothing that God has that he isn't going to make holy. You look at this dark earth and this world and this fallenness here, there's coming a time when God will make it holy. I've been reading Revelation. It's a fearful thing. God will make this world holy. He will burn away all that is evil. And that's what he does, and that's what he does with us, isn't it? He won't have anything to do with us if we aren't holy. And the moment that you rested faith in Christ, you become possessed by God, and you are positionally holy at that moment. You are set apart because the wrath of God was poured out on the Son, and you stand, as it were, on scorched earth. No more wrath for you because you are now holy in Christ. And that is simply by faith. You receive the gift of Christ by faith, and this holy Father makes you holy. So this is the other side of the familiarness when you're addressing God. This, this gives us a sense of reverence, doesn't it? Holiness is, is, is beyond just being sinless. He is other than just sinless. He is, he is strange. He is strange, strange, strange. He is, he is holy, holy, holy. Sanctified, 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 consecrated, consecrated, consecrated. And it's a fearful thing because at Mount Sinai they would not approach God is entirely other and distinct and separate from everything that he has made. He is different from the gods of human imagination. He is high and lofty. He is wholly independent, wholly unchangeable, majestic like no other, sovereign like no other, powerful like no other, too pure to behold evil, absolutely supreme, absolutely exalted, absolutely transcendent, incomparable, unmatched in person and nature, and Jesus says he's your father. 
Now praying, hallowed be your name, does not make God holy. Rather, it reminds us of the uniqueness of Him and how we must correspond to this nature and and submit to His holiness in His work upon us in our lives. Last phrase. Your kingdom come. How important is God's kingdom to Jesus? Well, he makes it only second to God's name and nature, right? Father, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is the subject that Jesus came to reveal to us. Gordon Fee was in a seminary class, and he was asking, he was going to teach that class, and he asked them before he started, what was the main thing Jesus came to make known? And one Pauline student said, justification by faith. (laughs) And other students said, love. Other students said other things. And the answer was, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. You might be surprised to know that in Luke, the kingdom of God is referred to 32 times. In Acts, 8 times. In Luke and Acts, there are 43 references to either Jesus having a throne, being seated on a throne, being the son of David, being a king, being anointed, or being seated at the right hand of God. And Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Well, why is this? Because it's all about the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, like hallowed be your name, is is an imperative. It's a command. But it does not depend on human will. It's not something that we're going to carry out. God is holy, and God's kingdom will come, regardless of the powers against it. See, let me just say this last thing about prayer in relationship to the kingdom of God coming. Prayer is the way God changes people. Prayer and the Word are the only two means that bring people to salvation. Prayer and the Gospel. And that's God's plan. So when we pray according to His plan, that's part of His plan. Let me give you a a real simple example. Like a Raiders or Eagles fan (laughs) at a football game, if Coach Del Rio or Pedersen came to any one of us and said, hey, tell us what the strategy for the game ought to be, we would defer, wisely, I hope, (laughs) and say, look, Coach, you know the teams better than we do. You know the players better than we do. We're going to let you make those calls. But we're going to sit on the sidelines and we're going to praise your plan. You call the play, we'll say amen. And that's the way prayer is. Here's the plan. (laughs) Scripture's the plan. And so we pray, your kingdom come. 
Because that's the plan, right? And what your kingdom come means today is that the reign of Christ would spread. And that's why this church was planted. This church is an outpost of the kingdom of God, right? Now, 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 even in the first century, people didn't understand the kingdom of God. It's kind of complicated. Is it, is, it, is it right now or is it not yet? Is it already or not yet? Is it, is it, a, is it a place? Is it a place you go? Or is it a reign or rule, right? They were confused about this, and it's all those things, by the way. And how does it come about? Well, they were confused about that, too, because remember the two on the Emmaus Road at the end of the book of Luke? Man, I thought he was the one. And Jesus shows up and says, oh, does, do you guys ever start home groups this way, at a home group? Oh, foolish ones and slow to believe. <laughs> Jesus, you know, this is his first little home group he's doing with these two. Oh, foolish ones and heart, slow and hard to believe that, this, that, uh, that, that the Messiah must suffer before entering his kingdom. No cross, no crown. So what do we proclaim as the kingdom? We proclaim the cross. We proclaim the king, the crucified one, who is now risen and reigning and is over our church. He's the one who runs the church. He's the one who's in charge of the kingdom, and Angelo and I are completely glad. <laughs> He's the one who's seated at the right hand of God. Let me give you a new way to share the gospel. Ready? Here's a new way to share the gospel. Tell people that God has offered a peace agreement through his king who's sitting at his right hand, and he will accept you if you ask him and recognize that he's king and you will submit to him, because understand, as important as preaching the cross is, it's just as important to preach where he is right now. Submit to Christ. Bow the knee to Christ. And then you don't have to get into all these questions and controversies about, do you tell people that Jesus died for their sin? Right? Or did, did Jesus died for your sin, you should believe in him, right? You get into these controversies. And nobody in Acts ever said, Jesus died for your sins, so you should believe in him. But they said, they said, bow the knee Amen. to Jesus Christ. They're saying things like, you killed him, <laughs> right? <laughs> and God raised him. That's right. Let the message be that Christ is king over his kingdom, and he's offering a peace agreement because there's a time coming when the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of this world. And this church is the first sign of that, along with many other churches. But the church is the sign of the kingdom coming to our world. So to conclude, we pray to see the glory we have yet to see. We pray to the Father through the Son and the Spirit. We pray to a merciful, gracious, loving, generous, holy Father. And we pray with kingdom priority that God, through Christ, would reign through his king. Heavenly Father, thank you for your revelation to us in these pages. Thank you for your son so humbly answering our questions, answering the disciples' questions, and helping us learn to pray. We are in awe of this glory that you have showed us, Lord Jesus, this morning, of God being our Father. What a glorious thing. 
of God being other than us. And of God having a kingdom. And of you telling us, fear not, little flock. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We're in awe of you, Father. We're in awe of the, of the, of the power and the wisdom and the way your Son teaches. We're in awe of your word. May we, may we be in awe all this week of what you are doing. And of the fact that we get to pray and watch it be carried out. In Jesus' name, amen.